Wisconsin's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Okay, thanks for tuning in tonight. It's 806. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Trent Evans is going to slide into studio later this hour. Senior manager of sales at Northlands, but uh, that's not really what we're going to be talking to him about. He has a long history with the old barn known as Rexall Place, so uh, we'll have some stories. Uh, this, this, tw- Twitter is such an interesting thing because you can interact with people like like never before, which isn't always a good thing. Uh, but uh, I believe, I'm going to have to verify this with Trent when he's here. I believe Trent's son told me to ask a specific question, and it may be something that makes Trent upset. So I, I guess we'll find out about that once uh, Trent is here a little bit later on. Let's see what's going on in the hockey world. Late in the second period, the Texas Stars lead the Bakersfield Condors 4-1. In the NHL tonight, I can tell you that the Edmonton Oilers are once again last in the entire NHL because Toronto won tonight. Kadri got a hat trick. He's up to 17 on the season. The Leafs beat the Panthers 5-2. Leafs and the Oilers both with, uh, well, actually, we got a three-way tie here. My mistake. Because Vancouver also has 67 points. So you have the Leafs, the Oilers, and Vancouver all with 67 points. Once you apply the tiebreakers, it's Vancouver 28th, the Leafs 29th, and the Oilers 30th. And obviously the Oilers don't play again until Saturday, so uh, they could be all alone without needing any tiebreakers by the time we get there. We shall see. Obviously Vancouver's not winning a lot lately either. The Penguins beat the Buffalo Sabres 5-4. That one went to a shootout. Kyle Ocposo, who I mentioned as a uh, interesting potential free agent target for the Edmonton Oilers, got the shootout winner. The Islanders edge the Hurricanes 2-1. The Devils win on home ice 2-1 over the Boston Bruins. Kincaid with 39 saves for New Jersey. Tuka Rask making just 13 stops for Boston. Sharks and Canucks still to come. The Stars lead the Predators 3-2. That is late in the second period. Spezza with his 30th of the season. The Blues up 3-1 on the Avalanche late in the second period. Now, Colorado scored in that game, which means the St. Louis shutout streak ends after 258 minutes and 29 seconds. Not bad. They had four straight shutouts. On home ice, the Wild lead Chicago 2-1 halfway through the third. The Canadians, back and forth game with Detroit. The Habs are now up 4-3 with four minutes left. It was 2-0 Montreal after one, 3-2 Detroit after two, and now uh, 2-1 for the Canadians. Max Pacioretty, two goals tonight. He is up to 27 on the season, and you are up to date. Uh, Serious question. Do we hold the record for being last in the league for the longest period of time? Off the top of my head, I do not know that. I honestly don't know that. For the longest period of time, well, I mean, if you went back in the history of hockey, I I don't know. 
we'd have to find out, Kellen. I mean, I'm sure in the era of the six-team league, there were t- teams that were last the entire season. I mean, the Winnipeg Jets one year won nine games. Yeah. I mean, as much as the Oilers have been in last, I mean, I, I doubt it. I would doubt that. Oh, well, yeah. In I the mean, history of the league. Yeah. Okay, so the Oilers finished last uh, two years in a row, what, 10 and 11. They mm-hmm. might finish last this year, but they haven't been in last place for that many days this year. Right overall. No. So if this if this texter is asking in the history of the National Hockey League which franchise has been in last place the most, I highly doubt it's the Oilers. Yeah, I mean Quebec was last three years in a row. Mm-hmm. Now again, were they in last place every day? I don't remember, but they were pretty bad. Don't forget expansion era too. You had your Oakland Seals and your Washington Capitals of the of the sixties and seventies that were well. Yeah, the Capitals came in in the seventies. Yeah, uh, and I mean. In the original six, like the Rangers and the Bruins and Chicago, usually those it was almost always Toronto, Detroit, or Montreal that won the Stanley Cup. Right. So that's I, I, I guess to whoever texted then, I would say I doubt it. If you added up total days in franchise history, in league history, which franchise has been in last place the most, mm. I, I doubt it would be the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. Now, last 10 years, yeah, probably Oilers or Buffalo, right? Because Buffalo's also finished last two years in a row. Mm-hmm. They won't this year, but that wow, that was the question was out of left field. I don't even know. Somebody just texted in, Buffalo holds that record, but I don't... That doesn't seem right to me if you're asking about the entire history of the National League Hockey League. Because all the original six teams have twice the... I mean, they've been along twice, twice as much or longer than other teams. Yeah, it would have to be like a New York Rangers or a Boston or something like that. Then we hold that. I don't know. I mean, I, I would assume that if you looked at total days in last place in the history of the NHL, I would just assume that the Quebec Nordiques have been in last place more days than the Oilers have been. You'd like an absolute dead last place. So anyway, uh, I don't know. Whoever's texted in, Buffalo holds that record. Send, send me where you got it because that doesn't seem right to me. Uh, Dave Leppard says, did St. Louis have the same goalie in net for all four shutouts in a row? No, it was, I think, uh, what, Elliot for three and Allen for one. So it was not the same dude uh, over and over again. Hey, uh, great story here. Edmonton's Will Bateman made his PGA Tour debut in the Puerto Rico Open over the weekend. He did miss the cut, but he was on the uh, Ryan Jesperson show earlier today, and here's what he said. It was the experience was like setting up on the first tee. Well, there's nothing really like it. Um, I, I felt that way in, in tournaments before, but nothing to that extent. And uh, honestly, you're just you're sitting there and you're just trying to make contact, which is, you know, pretty funny since you, you know, you practice so much and you play so much, but you're just, you're basically, your whole body's like in a different state. And um, I remember I, I've been playing practice rounds on that hole and I played 36 holes before I played the tournament. And I was hitting every shot about, you know, on the, on the drive on number one. I was hitting it to, you know, the both the 190 or the 200-yard plate. And then I get up there in the first tee with the exact same win, and I had ended up having 140 in. So you can just imagine, you know, how much adrenaline was going through me. And, um, you know, it was just an unreal experience. All right, and uh, Bateman also said, I was asked by uh, Jespo, is your career going the way you imagined it would? Obviously, there's, uh, you know, been a lot of hard work put into it in the last, you know, four to four to five years of when I when I did turn pro. Um, but yeah, I mean 
you know, things are obviously progressing in a, in a great way. Um, I think I just all the hard work that I put in, you know, even dating to three or four years back, I think now I'm slowly starting to see the success from it. Um, obviously, you know, mentally it really helps to be in a good state. I think that that's the only thing that has been different in the last, uh, you know, over the last year or even the last, you know, six to seven months is uh, my mental outlook has changed a lot and, and you know, golf, you know, 95% mentally or 5% mental, so. All right, so that's Will Bateman. Edmonton native made his PGA Tour debut at the Puerto Rico Open. He missed the cut, but he's uh, young. He's just 22, so hopefully uh, he got uh, he has a long future ahead of him. Uh, yeah, just some other textures. Uh, Namudi says it was on Sportsnet last year, but only for 30th place. The Oilers weren't far behind. So was that in the history of the 30-team NHL, or was that just in the last few years? That's what I'm not sure about. Yeah, KP says, I recall something on Twitter that it was the New York Islanders. Well, the Islanders were obviously really bad when they were an expansion team. And then, I mean, kind of like the Oilers. The Islanders haven't been very good since they won the Cups. N- neither team has been very good since they had their dynasties. So maybe it is the Islanders. I don't know. Well, if I remember, I'll, I'll look it up. But I, I, I often have... I have a short attention span. I'm not going to lie to you. It is 8.15. It is Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. It is a special guest, Trent Evans, when we get back. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 6.30, Chet. Tonight, thank you so much for tuning in. Inside Sports on 6:30, Chad. If you uh, if you missed the special chorus radio announcement that I was teasing earlier, I can tell you it is a spoof, but you can uh, enjoy it hopefully by following the link on my Twitter account at Reed Wilkins. Uh, we'll get it up on the Chad Facebook page uh, later on tonight as well. Well, here's the deal: just two more Oilers games. At Rexall Place, they play Saturday against the Calgary Flames. So that'll be the final Battle of Alberta at Rexall. And then next Wednesday, April 6th, the last Oilers game there against the Vancouver Canucks. Of course, the special start time, it's going to be uh, 5 p.m. We'll have extended coverage of everything for you right here on 6.30, Chet. So we'll, we'll do a few uh, feature segments here in the next week with memories of Rexall Place. And we're going to dive into that tonight with a very special guest joining us in studio. It is Trent Evans. Trent, thanks for dropping by. Hey, thanks for having me. It's uh, going to be a pleasure to talk about uh, what I would say uh, an infamous building and uh, obviously a sad day when we play that hockey uh, last hockey game, but uh, not the last event by any stretch. Now, you're a big deal. You must be because I got people on Twitter tweeting me this afternoon to ask you questions because they knew you were coming on. Well, that's do I awesome. dare do I dare ask you this one? That's from a it's that's from a awesome. loyal yeah. it's from a loyal listener named Justin. I hope he's a loyal listener. Yeah, he is. Uh this is from your son. So we're having some fun here. Ask my dad how he felt about the Jeff Carter goal the other night. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Uh Lauren is uh like a, a son to me. He lived with our family for three years. Uh we were billet family for six years and uh, we had the pleasure of having Lauren for three, so uh, the Evans family is his biggest fan, I would say, and uh, when the goal was scored the other night, I watched it on TV, and I didn't have uh, 
uh, all the announcements or the audio to go with it, but I just couldn't believe it was a goal and uh, that they counted it at the end of the day. So, you know, it's pretty hard for a goalie. You don't want to get into their kitchen, but uh, when you have a goal allowed that should have been disallowed, it was just disappointing. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, we talked about it a lot, and I did a whole spiel on referees off the top, but my thing was, okay, Brassois knocked down, and the refs apparently said, oh, well, he... He had, you know, he should have recovered quicker. Well, maybe the guy shouldn't have knocked him down to begin. It's like blaming the victim mentality, right? Yeah. But anyway, I didn't, I didn't like that. So, uh, Trent, you're currently the senior manager of sales at Northlands. That's right. Okay. So, forgive me, but we're probably not going to talk a lot about your current job <laughs> because hey, that's... It's, because we brought you on for some other stuff. You, you, when did you start uh, with Northlands and with Northlands Coliseum kind of being your your yeah. center of your work. I was. Uh, I started in 1982. Actually, I was lucky enough. Uh, on our street was Neil Campbell, and uh, I had the pleasure of Neil Campbell managed the uh, the Coliseum at that time, and his son and I and I were really good friends. And there was about 15 of us that uh, all did jobs from rink ratting to sweeping when uh, in the 80s. Uh, when the Oilers, were, of course, were in their glory days. And so I swept uh, floors in the um, in my first year of work when I was a 15-year-old and quickly moved down onto the ice as a rink rat. And obviously it was a great time to be a rink rat at the Coliseum because from, uh, of course, uh, 82 to about 90, we were winning Stanley Cups, and it was just a, a, common, uh, a common practice to be in the playoffs and winning Cups. So you were, this, this was your after-school weekend you know running around money type type yeah. job yeah yeah from about uh, 1982 till about uh, 1990 when i played on applied on a role and uh, turned my part-time position into a full-time position and that's when i started driving the zamboni in 1990 it must have been an interesting time i mean as you mentioned to be around there like cuz you're at that point you're already old enough to understand you know hockey and how hard it is to win so you're really appreciating those those Stanley Cups and and the great players but if you would have started in 82 would have you not been there for the the upset loss to the Kings though yeah and actually the the upset loss to the Kings was one of my first memories as a sweeper and a 15 year old to to see a fan leaving the building and kicking over garbage cans when we uh, we lost that game, and I, I believe we were up four or five goals going into the third period, so it was a tough loss, but it was um, it was part of the learning process, I would say, probably for the Oilers, and it uh, just showed how successful they could be after, you know, learning from a loss. Yeah, that was back in the best of five. Wasn't there a game like 10-8 in that series yeah, or something like and that? Yeah, I like... think to make matters worse, they were uh, up a few goals in L.A., and L.A. came back Oh, the there. miracle on Manchester, yeah. Then they uh, came back here to Edmonton, and uh, Edmonton again was up a few goals, but um, L.A. managed to come back again, so it was a heartbreaker. So as a 15-year-old, were you at every home game? Yeah, every home game. Like you, was, must have, like, you must have been the envy of all the kids in yeah. your class. <laughs> every home game, and I had uh, what I would say uh, the best seat in the house because uh, standing there at the Zamboni entrance... Had the Oilers attacking that zone for for two periods, so you know two thirds of the game you're seeing uh, Oiler goals. You're not seeing visiting teams uh, goals. So it, I mean, a real pleasure to you know be right there and to, in the glory days of the Oilers. I would say when Gretzky, Messier, Yari, Curry, Grant Fuhrer, all the all the Hall of Famers were playing. So it was a pretty cool time to work. 
Trent, was there ever a chance to to meet a player, or might they get to know you and be like, hey, Trent, when they're walking into the rink or anything like that? Yeah, I had uh, the pleasure of um, Paul Coffey. I, I um, golfed with Paul Coffey, so I had a little bit of off-ice uh, fun with Paul Coffey as a, a friend, so it was pretty cool to have that, and every time he's in town, of course, I, I try and go out of my way to say hello, but uh, yeah, there's there's a few players, Ryan Smith, and uh, even in the 80s, uh, late in the 80s, when I was a part-time rink rat, I was actually training to become a full-time journeyman chef, so I had the pleasure of uh, cooking for some of the Euler events, uh, including a, a dinner at Ryan Smith's house, uh, a dinner for Todd Marchant's wife when she had a baby shower, so um, yeah, I've met a few of the players and uh, really got to know, you know, players like Ryan Smith and Paul Coffey. You're going to hear more from uh, Trent Evans as we uh, moved along. He's got some stories about Stanley Cup moments, and I think, uh, is there something about new kids on the block? Wow, I can't wait to hear this one. Yeah, that's <laughs> we'll, a good one. We'll, we'll, all, we'll get to all that in the next half hour. This is Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. Quick break for the 8.30 News, then we're back. You're listening to 6.30 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. This is Inside Sports on 6.30 Ched. Reed Wilkins with you. Kellen Kennedy working hard on the other side of the window this evening and our special guest in studio, the Senior Manager of Sales from Northland, sharing some memories of Rexall Place or Northland's Coliseum as it was known when he started working there as a 15-year-old in 1982 is Trent Evans. Trent, thanks for sticking around. It's great to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, we just did seven or eight minutes before the news and you already had a, a boatload of great stories. So uh, I, know, I know there's... Uh, there's there's more to come. So Trent started uh, 1982. You were you were 15. So you said you were doing stuff like some of the the sweeping and rink ratting, rink ratting and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So you you often got to watch the games from ice level Zamboni area. So tell me about 84. I mean the the, the final was here in 83, but they they didn't win. Yeah. 84. They they win it and and they win it on home ice. Were you sort of in the middle of all the bedlam? What was going on? Yeah, 1984 was um, was crazy, and my memory of 84 is uh, obviously the winning and seeing Messier stand in the corner down at the Zamboni end and waving his arms and uh, throwing his stick and his gloves up in the air, and as he's uh, fully uh, tied up in emotion, looking up to his his parents in the stands, and we had a front row for that. But shortly thereafter, and uh, rolling out, I rolled out the red carpet for the first Stanley Cup. So. Uh, I think back then it was uh, John Ziegler that presented the the Stanley Cup. So rolling out the red carpet for the cup was a memory that I'll never forget. The the first cup for the Oilers, so a pretty special memory. But uh, you know, it was even as uh, at that time I would have been 17. It was uh, pretty special to to roll out the red carpet for the cup. And you know, if I think about my son who hasn't uh, seen an Oiler uh, Stanley Cup, and here in my day there and through the 80s and then into 1990 I saw five so you know pretty special what happened there in the 80s. Now how did you get were you on were you always on red carpet duty or did you draw for that night or what happened? No it was uh, one of the duties that uh, the rink rats did and uh, whether it was the red carpet or or pegging the nets for the Zamboni uh, moving the nets out of the way sweeping the sides of the boards uh, uh, rolling out the red carpet for the anthem singer, those were all part of our duties. So 
at that time there was only three three rink rats and i think uh, nowadays there's at least a dozen as they're shoveling the ice during commercial breaks and all other but uh, at that time there was three rink rats and we only worked during the intermission so it was a different routine for sure you just uh said a term called pegging the nets that people like under the age of 25 yeah. probably don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah well back in the 80s and when i was first a rink rat the uh, the net was actually pegged, and there was a, it was a put a 12 or 14 inch huge. long pipe that actually screwed into the concrete surface below the ice, and uh, there was no taking that net off unless you actually got underneath it and pushed it up. And that's uh, not so many uh, players were crashing the net at that time because if you ran into the net, it was like running into the boards. Yeah, Trent Evans joining us inside sports on 6:30. Chad, did you ever get to drive the Zamboni? Yeah, as um, in 1990, I applied on a role on a full-time basis, so I turned my part-time career into a full-time career in 1990. Uh, started driving the Zamboni. Uh, quite a thrill. It wasn't uh, like I had training for driving the Zamboni at a local arena. I, I went from rink rat to driving the Zamboni and uh, the building that uh, has the best ice in the league. So it was uh, pretty cool. Uh, one of six Zamboni drivers to to drive in 1990 was um, basically the first year I started driving the Zamboni and drove the Zamboni for about eight years. Really? Yeah. Awesome stuff. And that was another Stanley Cup, the one on the road that year. Yeah, in 1990. Yeah, okay. Uh, what's the secret to being a good Zamboni driver? Working your blade and uh, going the... Um, working your blade, you're constantly working the blade up and over the... Uh, the spots in the ice that uh, through measuring the ice on a daily basis that you you know you have to have that consistency and and the speed that you go so uh, the faster you go the less water you're or you're putting down and uh, when I first started driving the Zamboni actually there was only one Zamboni out on the ice and now we're right. used of course to two Zambonis so uh, when there was only one Zamboni out on the ice you you needed to make sure you were done in less than seven minutes so there was enough time for other intermission activities but uh, Nowadays, it's so different in that you have two Zambonis out, so you've got more attention on the ice, which is a good thing and uh, something that the league uh, brought in, which makes all the sense in the world because really there's no other sports surface that has so much bearing on a game as uh, the hockey ice does on the game. Yeah, well said. And for most of its lifespan, Rexall Place has had the or close to the best ice yeah. in the league and certainly the era when you started for sure yeah oh and it's still the best ice i would say they've uh they've got a great crew and uh it's a, a team atmosphere there and it's everybody from uh the reefer mechanic to the guys that control the air temperature and the zamboni drivers obviously and uh there's a lot of care and a, a real team effort that goes into making the ice there right on uh we'll hit on some more hockey stories but you you, you teed me up for something here um <laughs> you have you have a story about new kids on the block, but, but we should say too for younger people. This was a boy band in like what the late '80s, early '90s. Yeah, I don't even know how long ago, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the new kids on the block, and I I won't forget. And as much as uh, the Coliseum is about hockey, there's obviously a lot of other events there, and I'll never forget the time that uh, the new kids on the block were uh, playing a concert in the Coliseum back then, and. Uh, uh, they got a hold of one of our golf carts downstairs, and this was before the day when there was the club lounge, and they jumped in the golf cart that had keys in, and they started racing around the lower concourse of the Coliseum, only to have my supervisor, at that time Dan Craig, chase them, 
and uh, only realized that, okay, it was better off not to chase them. Let's just wait until they come around again. Uh, so he waited for them to come around again, and uh, he was the dead end, but they, they hit the brakes, they backed up, and they went back around the other way. They, they just didn't care, so they, they went the opposite direction. It was uh, a funny scene to watch. So you're telling me like, the new kids on the block weren't these wholesome, uh, you know, boy next door types they they're golf cart stealing hooligans yeah and at that time i i'm not sure how old they were but uh definitely just kids having good fun um in terms of uh so so 84 was a home ice stanley cup 85 87 88 all won at, at what was then northlands coliseum were you the the red carpet guy for those were you were you near the cup did you ever get to yeah. carry touch the cup like what was going yeah. on the, um, and I won't remember the year, but uh, hockey fans will. The year that we uh, beat Philadelphia in Game 7, uh, there was a good story that uh, went along with it. Uh, uh, prior to Game 7, the Oilers were up, I'm going to say, three games to one, and then Philadelphia won the next couple and uh, to tie the series. So the game, or the seventh game, was played back in Edmonton, and back then, the keepers of the cup, there was no such thing. The home team was responsible for the cup. And so the Oilers uh, didn't want the Philadelphia Flyers to have the cup in the dressing room for Game 7. So alternatively, they told them before the game that uh, the circus had accidentally taken the cup and the Conn Smythe prior to Game 7, but they would return it before the end of the game. So myself and one other rink rat were responsible for after the anthem was sung, and at that point it was too late for Philadelphia to have it in the dressing room, we turned over the cup and the Consmythe 10 HL security, but uh, to get the cup and the Consmythe 10 HL security, we actually pushed um, them through the the crowd during the um, the pre-game just to get them to the back door. And at that point, we told the uh, security NHL security that the circus people had just dropped off the cup, and of course, they knew that was a lie. Uh, but at that point, they're just happy to have the cup because the cup is definitely presented to that night right. to one of the two teams like there was no alternative that night so a pretty cool moment so the flyers were what just putting it in the middle of the room as inspiration or something yeah but not touching so man it's, that's crazy that they could get away with that at that time yeah it's incredible that uh, you know they had the raw raw going come on guys we can win this thing and uh, so anything that uh, as a home team we could do and say there was infamous for you know, thinking through these ideas and uh, great idea and good on him to, you know, keep the cup away from them. So did you get those orders straight from, from Glenn Sather? No, actually through the dressing room, Sparky and, okay. uh, Sparky and I had a really good relationship and um, I was his go-to guy, one of the rink rats. Trent Evans joining us inside sports on 630 Chet, senior manager of sales at Northland. Some memories of uh, of Rexall Place. Okay, so tons of hockey stuff, and we'll get to obviously some some the the Olympic angle as, as well. Um, and you mentioned a, you know a concert story with were you were you around for for rodeos and and things like that? Because I mean the rodeo is a huge annual yeah, event, obviously. Yeah. Love the rodeo, and um, you know to be able to. Uh, with the rodeo goes uh, the making or taking out of the ice. So, you know, the rodeo is uh, pretty in-depth in that it's it's uh, a total changeover of uh, the Coliseum. It takes over for 7 to 10 days if you include the taking out of the ice and uh, making the ice again. So the rodeo is a, a pretty special event um, uh, in the Coliseum, and it just goes to show and 
agriculture and how important agriculture we're so focused on oil sometimes as a resource here in Alberta that agriculture can't be forgotten and it's uh, you know it brings a city slicker like Trent Evans uh, down to life when he sees in the Expo Centre cows and full barn and a rodeo across the way it's uh, you know anybody that experiences that as an Albertan we have to be proud to have uh, the rodeo there as well. Uh, there's been a couple briars there, the uh, Roar of the Rings, the Olympic curling playdowns in, in I guess, late in 09 were massive. Uh, yeah. The tension there. There's been, I want to say, the 94 and 2004 Canadian Figure Skating Championships and the 96 Worlds. Yeah, the 96 Worlds, 94 Canadians, you're probably right on the years. Okay. Those were also special moments, uh, definitely. You know, as any sports fan, and uh, we did go through our peaks and valleys, I think, with uh, Canadian figure skating and, you know, the Kurt Browning. So uh, the 90s, it was a pretty special time, too, to have figure skating in the Coliseum and, uh, you know, see superstars like Kurt Browning. and uh, you Stoico know, was, would have been around, like, two of the biggest names ever for yeah, Canadians. Yeah, yeah. Keep coming right through, through Edmonton. Uh, Trent, just a couple more for you here. Thanks for being so generous with your time. Tell us a little bit. Of, okay, so first of all, if if people don't know, you're you're the loony guy, not yeah. not the crazy guy. You're you're the 2002 Salt Lake loony under the center ice dot. Yeah, yeah, and uh, a pretty cool time and uh, getting that opportunity through an invitation from uh, Dan Craig and the Salt Lake organizing uh, committee as one of 15 Zamboni drivers from around the league. Myself and Duncan Murray from here in Edmonton, uh, went to make the ice in Salt Lake City and I was uh, lucky enough and had the opportunity at Centre Ice to to replace the 12-inch the blue dot with a, a Canadian loony, which uh, obviously at the end of the day worked out very well for Team Canada, both men's and ladies teams <laughs> uh, winning gold and uh, pretty cool. I get a chance on a weekly basis uh, to talk to the kids at ice school and, and brag about my experience there in Salt Lake City as they've... Uh, read as part of their curriculum a loony for luck and that's uh, the ice school is a coordination between the Oilers and Northlands and it's a pretty special school that has uh, uh, activity in Coliseum on a weekly basis so it's a lot of fun to to talk about the loony story. Where well, I should know this where's the loony now is it in the Hall of Fame? Or yeah who the, has it? the actual loony is in the Hockey Hall of Fame okay. so after the men's gold medal game myself and Kevin Lowe and Steve Tambellini went out to center ice and Myself with a, a water bottle in hand and a screwdriver, I, I melted the ice above the loony and picked out the loony with a screwdriver. Gave it to Kevin Lowe and uh, he's very generous and uh, he thought better, no Trent, I can't take this loony. Uh, so we took some pictures and he passed the loony back to me and he said, you've got to give this to Gretzky yourself. So I circled the uh, lower concourse there in Salt Lake City a couple of times, waited for my moment, dressing room door opens and I get waved in and I presented the loony to Wayne Gretzky and it was a pretty cool moment. Uh, Mike Craig and myself presenting the loony to, to Gretzky and they wouldn't let the owner from Roots into the dressing room but they let Trent Evans and Mike Craig into the dressing room so it was uh, it was pretty cool. Okay, before we wrap up, how, I, I've, I've always wanted to ask this and it's, it's probably been told but my things, I lose things. How many people knew it was there during the tournament? I... Uh, 
a lot of people actually they did and, okay. and more specifically Canadians I told Sparky and from Sparky he told uh, Canadians like Ryan Smith who played so, for the so Oilers at the time the Brewer okay. uh, all the Canadian women knew about it uh, they talked about it I think in uh, both men's and ladies locker rooms in Salt Lake City Bob Nicholson knew about it I I had the pleasure of telling him the story and he pulled me aside and had me tell it uh, the story even I'm going to say two or three weeks out from the actual game uh, when he was in Salt Lake City he had me tell the story to um, members of the Team Canada coaching staff Pat Quinn and others so yeah the the Looney story a lot of people knew about it but they were specifically Canadians. Awesome stuff. Trent thanks so much for coming in. Incredible stories great memories we, we could have gone for uh, for uh, another hour but uh, I really appreciate you coming in and uh, uh, I know obviously Rexall Place uh, will will continue but uh, in terms of the Oilers two more games so enjoy them. Yeah thanks very much and thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk about uh, such an iconic building and we'll miss it. 8.49 Inside Sports on 6.30. Ched, back with a final look at the scoreboard. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 6.30. Ched. Well, that was great. Trent Evans in studio. Been working for Northland since 1982 when he was 15. Incredible stories, some stories about the loony and Salt Lake City. Uh, we'll have a, f a few of those uh, types of guests on leading into that big final game next Wednesday against the Vancouver Canucks. I got a minute here for uh, Fred on uh, the open line. Hey, Fred, you're on with Reed. Hey, Reed, how's it, how's it going tonight? I'm doing quite well. Uh, well, I was at the very first game, WA, or National Hockey League, Detroit Red Wings, Peter Mahalovic. I can't remember if it was October 8th or 10th, 79. But I also was at the very first game in uh, Rexall back in them days. It was uh, the Edmonton Coliseum. Cleveland was in town. I think Jerry Cheevers was the goalie back then. But here's a fact for all you heavy metal people. ACDC started off their back and black world tour July 13th at uh, Rexall. Really? Brian the first Johnson. show? Yeah, first show ever with Brian Johnson in North America. So little tidbit there. That is, uh, I think, Back in Black is ACDC's best album. Do you know who produced it? Uh, of course, Mott Lang. Who later on to produce, went on to produce what album that I frequently reference on this show? Uh, well, it could be Shania Twain, could be Def Leppard. Hysteria by <laughs> Def Leppard. Thank you, Fred. There you are. Take care. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Fred calling in 780-496-0063. Uh, right. Stoffer's going to have Oilers now from noon to 2 tomorrow. Uh, we'll continue to work on the launch of Seabob. Uh, <laughs> no no date announced. Uh, I'll continue to record my uh, Christmas album. Uh, Roadhammer says, I got to go to the first Oilers home game. They handed out... Uh, Miniature, I think it's supposed to say mini hockey sticks. As we walked in, they had the Oilers' names all over them. I still have mine. Great memory. Hope they do something like that for the last game. That is from Roadhammer. All right, checking your out-of-town scoreboard tonight. Uh, unfortunately, the Edmonton Oilers are now in last place in the NHL because Toronto beat the Florida Panthers 5-2. Kadri got a hat trick there. The Blues lead the Avalanche 3-1 with nine minutes left. 
Same portion of the game for Dallas and Nashville. The Stars are up 3-2. Sharks and Canucks scoreless after the first period. Devils beat the Boston Bruins by the score of 2-1. In a shootout, the Islanders get past the Hurricanes 2-1. Also in a shootout, Pittsburgh 5, Buffalo 4. The Canadians win on home ice 4-3 over the Detroit Red Wings. And uh, the Minnesota Wild win their sixth in a row, knocking off the Chicago Blackhawks 4 one tonight and in the American Hockey League so I want to make sure I got this updated here the Oilers farm team the Bakersfield Condors late in the third losing 4-1 to the Texas Stars even though they're out shooting Texas 47-23 by the way in that Minnesota Chicago game the Blackhawks played without their two top defensemen Brent Seabrook with an illness Duncan Keith took a match penalty in the first period for swinging his stick at Charlie Coyle. So Keith played a a little bit of the game, but obviously was uh, unable to finish it. All right. The studio producer tonight, Kellen Kennedy, the producer of Oilers of uh, Inside Sports, is Dave Campbell. Inside Sports, presented by AMA. Be listening on Saturday as the Oilers host the final Battle of Alberta at Rexall Place. Pre-game at 6.30, puck drop at 8. AMA safety and savings for your family. Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to 2 tomorrow. We're back with another edition of Inside Sports from 6 to 9. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Yes, I do. I get that.